Welcome to the Legendarium. The whole reason that he wins is because he's got a little fat guy in his pants. Like, that's... (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. How long were you sitting on that one? Hey everybody, welcome back. It's the Shadow Rising, book four, The Wheel of Time... Welcome to the Legendarium Podcast. I am Craig Hanks, your host, and with me as always, well, his tears are the 11th spice in KFC's secret recipe. It's Ken Johnson. Yeah, I don't have tear ducts, whatever. And he's so remote, I'm trying to block him with my lightsaber. It's Ryan Bruckman. No, not so much, Ryan. I wish I could make a cricket noise right now. Can we? Uh, you cut out about halfway through the insult, so I just didn't feel it. Oh, that's good. Okay, well, that's fine. And uh, it's the horrific thing that goes bump in the night. It's the beard of one Kyle Lemon. Your soothing baritones can't insult me. <laughs> yes, they can. And they do. Oh, if only I was a baritone. I would kill to be a baritone. I'm so tenor, it's disgusting. I'm pretty much an alto. Well, really. you're pretty disgusting. Let's but. agree. <laughs> uh, okay, so Shadow Rising, we will have two discussions. This is uh, discussion one of two. We'll make our way through a bunch of stuff. Um, but we'll, we'll get there in just a moment. Obviously like normal, we got to do a bit of housekeeping. I do want to tell you guys about a conversation I had with a guy recently. He runs another uh, popular podcast locally here. And, uh, when he, we were kind of comparing notes on how the podcasts were going and he said, uh, you know, you should, you should really be actively working to shed your international listenership. And I said, what? And he said, yeah, because it's uh, you want to increase the percentage of people listening in the U.S. because that's going to be more attractive to advertisers. Uh, and I said, screw you. That, that's stupid. <laughs> that's really stupid. I just wanted to make a note of that. I, I've made a note of this on Facebook a little bit. We've uh, uh, over a third of our listenership, uh, both in monthly downloads and all-time downloads, is outside the U.S. And that's actually a fact I'm pretty proud of. I am really yeah. grateful for everybody to everybody who listens in, including all those of you in. We we really do have a lot in uh, in Britain, Canada, Australia, Sweden, Germany. It's uh, all over the place. Yeah, so little it's little really did cool. you guys know that Craig is actually gunning for Pitbull's nickname, Mister Worldwide. So oh, is that his? That's your, that's I've your never new, heard that. You're gonna be the new Pitbull. You're gonna have to shave your head. And I'm, start speaking Spanish. I'm th- not really what one would call a hip hopper. I thought he was running for secretary general. Hip hopopotamus. My lyrics are bottomless. Uh, but anyway, so uh, you know, maybe he's right when it comes to advertisers. Maybe they won't ever find the legendarium that attractive because we have too many listeners outside the U.S. I say screw them because we have Patreon and. Patreon has been great, and we're super, super grateful for everybody who has uh, pitched in so far, supported the podcast there. Patreon.com slash Legendarium is where you can go to support the podcast. I am incredibly grateful to our Patreon supporters. All of us who appear here on the podcast, we all have day jobs. This is not our job. (laughs) This is a true labor of love for us. So anything you can do to help us ease the financial burden on... uh, well, on me, basically, <laughs> is much, much appreciated. So, anyway. If you would like to make it our day job, though, we would love <laughs> to let you make one it day. our day job. One day. One day. Um, hey, another point of interest, by the way. So, I, you can dig into the statistics a little bit and see where and how people are listening. And uh, another point of interest. 2% of our downloads, about 2% of our downloads, are from people using Linux systems. 
is this the nerdiest oh. podcast in the world or what? I think officially according to the data. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Pound for pound. <laughs> the nerdiest podcast uh, out there. Anyway, blah, blah, blah. So you guys uh, want to talk about The Shadow Rising? Let's do it. Pretty, pretty oh, bad. Yeah. Uh, so we have read up to this point, before I get to my little intro here, we have read 1.4 million words <laughs> in four books. These are, these are not tiny books. I think 1.2 of them were in this book. <laughs> <laughs> it seems that way. Gosh. This was a long book. Um, all right. And I think Ryan, who has been cheating and reading ahead, has probably read, like, what, 3 million words? Where are you at, Ryan? Um, I am just uh, finished up Lord of Chaos. Oh, good heavens. Which is six. So, oh, wait, is that six? Yeah, oh, that's five six. or six? Oh, okay. Sheesh, you are reading a lot. Uh, I need a longer commute, I guess. I don't know. Uh, yeah, it helps uh, 45 minutes a day, both one way. Yeah. In yeah. the snow, uphill. uphill. Yeah. All right. Well, you guys want a synopsis? Synopsis. All right. Shadow or Rising. Synopsis. Bubbles of evil are rising from the Dark One's taint. <laughs> we, <laughs> we rejoin Rand, Matt, and Perrin in the conquered Stone of Tear, and each of them is simultaneously attacked. Rand by his reflection, Perrin by his axe, and Matt by his playing cards. I totally get symbolism, by the way, you guys. Moiraine <laughs> informs them that weird things like this will happen more and more often as the seals on the Dark One's prison continue to weaken. It also will provide a very convenient excuse for some super rando action scenes where Robert Jordan feels like things are maybe a bit slow. Well, after this, the unthinkable happens. The group splits up, with Perrin heading back to the two rivers to combat the White Cloaks. Rand and Matt head into the Aiel Waste to go see what those guys are up to. But splitting up the group isn't the unthinkable part. No, it's that the group doesn't get Taverand back together by the end of the book. Perrin <laughs> fights some battles and becomes, for all intents and purposes, king of the two rivers. Rand enters the lost city of Ruidion, sees some crazy visions, and becomes, for all intents and purposes, king of the Aiel. Matt gets a new stick. <laughs> but of course our three Taviran, fancy gold medallion our three Taviran are not the only characters in this story the other big news is that Nynaeve and Elaine are chasing the Black Aja in Tanchico where Nynaeve confronts defeats but does not kill one of the vaunted forsaken Min is stuck in the White Tower where Elida has organized a coup deposing and stilling Swan Sanche who escapes and is now free to spread her anger and fish analogies across land Randland and across Randland is precisely where we seem to be headed, so let's get talking about the Shadow Rising. I loved Orange Tanchico when I was a kid. It was so good. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, we have a lot of international listeners, but I'm afraid they're going to lose on jokes like that. So, in fact, I don't know. Is Tampico a thing nationwide? Oh, yeah. uh, sure. I, don't, I don't know if Tampico is a thing. On the on the East Coast. Anyway, uh, Ryan, since you are remote and it's going to be a little tougher to get you into the conversation regularly, I'll just start with you. What did you think of the Shadow Rising generally? Before we start, I oh, think I think oh, we should make shoot. Ryan uh, do some sort of signal when he has something to say, like he has to hoot like a barn owl, or oh yeah, you know, to let us know that he has something of value to add. <laughs> Uh, yeah. I have to create a buzzer, basically. <laughs> we, need, we need a we need like a a code word, a safe word, oh. in honor of the new Fifty Shades movie. We need a safe word when we need. You're like, you guys need to stop talking, and it's time for me to to say something. Just, just yell out Taviran. 
<laughs> in, 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 tug my braid. Tug my braid. In, <laughs> all right. That was oh, that was somehow God. filthy, and I liked it. Uh, anyway, Ryan, what did you think of book four? Um, I really enjoyed this one, uh, mainly because it had a very different feel from the first three, uh, because we're breaking out of that trilogy structure. Um, so we get to go ahead and say, hey, we're going to go explore something that has been totally uh, minimized in all the rest of it. We get to go explore Aiel land, mm. um, so, which I really, really liked. Um, I, I really like the Aiel a lot, and so it was nice to spend more time inside of and get to understand them a little bit better, which, quite frankly, I think Robert Jordan wrote them in such a way that you're never supposed to truly understand the Aiel ways and customs because some of them are absolutely ridiculous. Like, <laughs> if you are the second brother of my first sister and throw a rock at the third brother of the fourth sister, you have to marry the the daughter of the whatever. <laughs> like, they get pretty ridiculous sometimes when Avienda's trying to teach Rand about stuff. I'm like, I think you're just being, you know, difficult on purpose here. Yeah, I yeah. wonder. I wonder if he's gonna try to ever make that uh, cohesive, or if that's just a little uh, a little thing he can throw in there to throw you off. I guess I would love it if, like, the whole time Avienda was just totally trolling him, like telling him all this weird stuff, and like <laughs> he goes and asks Ruark about it, and he's just like, "Dude, what? <laughs> what? What are you talking about?" That entire section uh, of chapter twenty three where they're dressing down Egwin. Um, like, who the, oh, with the braids. She's like, she's like, uh, what is the how how you treat your servants? <gasps> Whoa, servant! The heck was that? That sound? was me. Was that a gasp? That was a gasp. Okay, you need to gasp better. Gasp. <laughs> um, and right. then they dress her down. What did you What did you think of the book as a whole? Ken? Overall, I loved it. it yeah. man, it is thick with stuff. That's. <laughs> Dang it! All right, okay, <laughs> just I'm just gonna go tug my braid. Yeah, in a corner. You do that. Uh, yes, it is. I mean, this is a it's a beefy book. It, it we is. We might say. Well, I mean, there are four four different settings basically going on at the same time throughout this book, and every one of them gets a, a good. Well, three of the four get a real good. Uh, Good play, good amount. Are there? Of play. Are there? Well, I guess there's four if we count the Stone of Tear. I, I guess I'm, I'm. Well, there's there's three and a half after the Stone of Tear. I mean, because okay. you got Hanchiko. Who's the half? Uh, Swan Sanche and Min and them. Oh, okay. They're, yeah, they're yeah, there, yeah. but they don't get a whole lot of Not attention. Lot of time. Um, but but Perrin's got his Matt and Rand, and then uh, Nynaeve and Elaine in Tenchiko, and they all get quite a bit of. Can I uh, interject with a Will of Time literary analogy? Yeah, yes. Robert Jordan has been building up his one power strength it's like when they talk about how when they're weaving things with the power and then all of a sudden somebody like Egwene has learned a lot more about the power and now she can weave multiple flows at the same right. time magically yeah. Robert Jordan is simply weaving multiple stories at the same time in and out of a larger story because his power has strengthened Look at you go. I know. Yeah. Okay, I'm done. I'll, I'll uh, see you guys actually, in a couple episodes. <laughs> <laughs> it's not far off because um, in the so in the previous book, I, I I'm not looking at books one or two, but in book three, we have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, nine uh, uh, points of view uh, to go through. At ten, I guess if you count the narrator right at the beginning, but I do not. Um, <laughs> in book four, we have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen. I, I'm not even counting them. It's like eighteen or twenty. Uh, 
it, so it's a huge jump in point of view characters so i think you're right like it's this is him really stretching his wings in a big way and uh it's it gets really hard to keep track of and kudos to him Tug though because he Tug does a really oh sorry <laughs> Tug your brain. this this could get so, good <laughs> so my 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 one thing about that is that i mean it's in, it is impressive and it's it's a skill and i think we have a fairly good sense that he's going to be able to pull this off but really i mean especially if you go back to before we had finished this series being able to weave a lot of stories is not necessarily an impressive thing or a good thing because i mean if you're you know continuing the analogy you're weaving this together you're knitting this together is it going to be this beautiful tapestry of a story or is it going to be the three-legged baby coat thing <laughs> that, like it, it could get ugly quickly um yeah. which um at times i mean during the process I, I wouldn't be surprised to say that you know the it might get a little uglier before it gets pretty and, and pulled together but yeah um, i, I as a whole, it's really. I think he does do a really good job of keeping storylines new and interesting enough to that you want to follow all these point of view characters. Totally, yeah. I think uh, yeah. through the end of book four, at least from my perspective, it's fine uh, for the most part. There have been a couple of moments when uh, he. Oh, where I, I made a note of it somewhere. Anyway, I guess uh, there have been a couple of times when he will switch to a, a tertiary character, and uh, suddenly you're looking through the eyes of like, is it Egyanen? Oh, yes. Yeah. And and you're gonna get to know her, but this is somebody he introduced like two books ago, and he just says, "Oh, they'll figure it out. They they know who that is because they read it seven hundred thousand words ago." And no, we don't remember. And so there's some of those moments when he's switching to a different uh, point of view. He goes to a new chapter, switches to a new point of view, and you're just left reeling because and, and you have no yeah. idea who these people are. And yeah. I will say, you know, we, we've talked about it several times on this podcast about waiting to judge the piece as a whole once you've read all, yeah. all the way to the end yep. to make these these judgment calls on like, was it well done or was it not well done? But I will say I can see that this is a major um, stumbling block for some readers that say, I just couldn't get through this book. And I think that this could be a really big reason why, because all of a sudden you have to juggle 20, 30, 40 point of view characters. And like you said, remember who they are from two books ago. There's and he does a pretty good job of like, trying to remind you within the narrative like when he brings up Egyanen again he, he kind of she's kind of reminiscing about things that were happening in later books the last time that we saw her but to that point there are so many characters to keep track of that I could see this being a reason why people start to fall off that's not necessarily a bad thing like I said right. you want you want to definitely see the whole piece of work all the way through to book 14 before we judge it but if you are reading this for the first time we encourage you to keep going through even if you feel like it's a struggle to keep track of some of these characters because there is a giant payoff no it doesn't yeah. help that every single girl's name starts with an e and they all sound the same <laughs> <laughs> seriously Egwene Elaine, Melaine, Elida, Egion, and it's like Moraine. I'm like, oh my gosh. 
do, do you know any other sounds? <laughs> well, so going back to the the sorry Ken, but no, going I, going back to I the had. POV thing, uh, there's a really great uh, statistical breakdown on Wikia.com, the the Wheel of Time Wikia, and uh, somebody went through and did a, a st- statistical analysis of the POVs. So the most uh, the most point of view that we get in this book is from Perrin. Uh, with 28%, Rand gets 21%, Elaine gets 14 Egwene gets 9 Matt only gets 7 which really shocked me because I felt like... I felt like I read a lot more Matt than I actually did. But he's in a lot of he's in a lot of Rand's stuff. <laughs> I think uh, that's mainly just there. because Matt's involved with Rand's yeah. stuff. Right, uh, right. You get a lot of Matt through Rand's perspective. Yeah, it's a good point. And Egwene as well. But then, like, you get into people like Suroth and Leandrin and Jacob Carradin and Dane Bornhold, and these people are all getting less than one percent of the the total word count but they're and still so, getting something you're like wow well yeah well they're still getting something but um i guess my point is just unless you know somebody like swan sanche okay we've been around her enough that we know exactly who she is and we kind of understand her motivations and everything up to a certain point but then you get somebody like uh like j kim Cardin or or suroth the the high lady suroth and you're like wait a minute Gosh, oh, I remember he mentioned this person two books ago. Anyway, and so th- those get a little distracting to me. But like I said, for the most part, I was perfectly pleased with how he structured the characters and the points of view in this book. I, I didn't really struggle too often. Not often enough that I didn't enjoy the book. I had a no, great time and, with it. So, And interestingly enough, it's a lot of people bring up, you know, we're now finally out of the trilogy Oh um, yeah, 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 the original yeah. trilogy. We're into book four, and like Craig said earlier, you know this is where Robert Jordan really spreads his wings. And subsequently, The Shadow Rising is actually a pretty big fan favorite. Like, there's a lot of people that will put this book as their number one book in the entire series. Well, I could okay, see so that. you and I were talking earlier today, uh, Kyle, and we just marveled for about two or three minutes just listing off things that had happened in this book and it's an incredible amount of stuff that happens big events that happen it can get a little wearying i suppose uh but if you're if you're a big fan of momentous occasions and and uh balls to the wall action like this is a this is the book for yeah. you right yeah, and so it, Ken, it, this is the book for you it's right? got a punching it's got a it. lot of punching I, well and as as the first time reader it at, at the very beginning i i could see that this was not going to be the same. The other three books were good. I mean, but but they had their moments. You're like, oh, I'm, I'm just tired of this. I'm tired of the I am a man and whining. <laughs> and, you know, Matt's always sick. And, you know, we're, we're done with all of that. And people are now getting their sea legs, for lack of a better term. But they're, they're finding their way and they're all they all have business now. And it's it's very enjoyable to watch what what's basically three different stories happening once they all split from tier, we got three different stories happening, and, and they're all good stories. Well, and we're, again, 1.4 million words invested into this. And so we now have a very familiar or familiarity with these main characters. And that's where, you know, we talked about the tertiary characters that come in and, and kind of change that up. And I think part of that is we're so familiar now with Rand and Matt and Perrin and Nynaeve and Egwene and Moraine. That sometimes when those newer characters come up, it's like, no, I just want to read about my favorite, you know, of the three boys, or I want to read about the Wonder Girls because that's what I'm interested in. And like sometimes it gets a little bit distracting. 
But because we're so familiar with these characters, it makes it possible for us to have, you know, three or four different climaxes in this book. That uh, again, they don't all come back it, and is that like after a lot of braid tugging, right, yes. Ryan? A, a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't just let it go, could you? Obviously not. Have no. you? How long have well, you been podcasting right? with me? Come I'm on, I'm just hoping. I was hoping. Uh, like if I, I say nothing, that it just... does for I just you'll have to forgive me for you know being a little bit ahead here, but. Um, it does make it nice when you've been invested in some of these characters earlier on, some of these tertiary, secondary tertiary characters. Um, they can drop off for a while and then come back and be mentioned. Um, uh, just like I said, forgive me here, but like uh, they mentioned Loyal in the in Lord of Chaos. And I All went, right. oh, I haven't heard from him in a while. <laughs> right. And yeah. it was like, oh, yeah, but he's still a character that I'm, I'm sure I, I need to be aware of somehow. So it's nice and a, and a curse at the same time. And the thing that I really like about the tertiary characters is that it really shows just how much influence these three Taviran have on the world because it is influencing all of these different people all over the world. Yeah. So their Taviran pole really is what they're explaining it to be instead of just like the, the idea of it, of saying like, hey... This whole Taviran thing and the Dragon Reborn and all the prophecies, it's going to affect the entire world. And you kind of think of that as an abstract idea. A lot of these characters are getting sucked in to the plot right. because of it. And so it really is concrete and makes it believable. Actually, uh, okay, so I have a question about the Taviran thing. And it's not in my notes, so forgive me if I'm a little bit uh, uh, raw with this one. But uh, it, do we think... It, he is certainly, Jordan, I mean, is certainly presenting the concept of, of Taviran as a concrete thing. This is, it, it's a real occurrence. These people have a real effect uh, and, and they function very differently from the other people around them in Randland. It, is it possible that this is just a, a construct that these that these three people are actually just very charismatic and uh they you know they have sort of leadership qualities rand is obviously the dragon reborn and so they have this effect anyway because like you think about the real world and the the huge effect that one person can sometimes have it's rare right but then you have somebody who has a huge effect on everybody around them on on you know nations and states etc and even within diving back into the story itself you talk about characters like Moraine or somebody like Nynaeve or Elaine these characters who are not classified as Taviran but who have such a huge a, mon a monumental effect on everything around them um, at least sometimes you know it, he doesn't build the story to have them be as affecting as Rand or or the other guys but do you see what I'm saying? Is yeah. it possible I, I think, that this is just a construct? I think you hit on a key element in your in your description there, um, and it's and it's the key difference between a Taviran and somebody else. Um, I don't think it's just a construct, uh, mainly because you talk like Moraine, who has, you know, they they definitely affect the world around them in a great way, in a big way. But a Taviran doesn't affect the world around them in a big way. The world bends around them. Yeah is the difference there. Um, the, the pattern will weave itself around them versus someone versus them 
bending, uh, doing something to the, the, the threads around them. And they're such large to Viren that the world has to bend, that the pattern in the world has to bend in a very large way to uh, to meet what they're looking for. And that's why I don't think it's a construct. It's yeah. not just an explanation of a really strong personality or whatever. It's legitimately, even when, you know, luck has to change, unnatural events have, unnatural events have to happen to make it work for them. That's how that works. Whereas someone like Moraine is just really good at manipulating the threads around them. Right, right. Uh, yeah, and that's fine. I, I'm fine not having, like, not being correct on that. And I'm not saying that it is, I guess. I'm just postulating uh, a theory. Um, with yeah. so much in this book to talk about, should we dive into, like, events that were happening in the book and, and maybe dial back a little bit off of, like, the theory of Tavirin? Oh, or, like, sure, sure, Just some sure. of that. <laughs> Uh, just because I'm reading. Shut up, Craig. There's no, too much to talk no, about. No, I'm reading through our Reddit. Um, our, oh, yes. Our Reddit subreddit, which, which is awesome. Which, but yeah, we oh, should yeah. And really I'm just take, like, oh, crap, we're going to miss some of these. Yeah, yeah, we should just take a second and say thank you, thank you, thank you so much to everybody on Reddit who goes in and, and uh, asks questions and, and gives us stuff to talk about. Uh, honestly, okay, we could sit here and have so much stuff to talk about for two hours, and that's fine, but it is nice to know what you guys want us to talk about, and uh, we may or may not get to all of that stuff. You know, we have our own stuff that we want to talk about too, but uh, it's incredible to have uh, the response that we do, and so thank you to everybody on Reddit and Facebook who uh, send in those questions. Yeah, and anyway, we'll certainly keep... cross as much as of it as we can. I mean, yeah, yeah, so keep them coming. Anyway, go ahead, Kyle. Um, I mean, I don't have a, a specific topic. I, I'll just read the top. The top Reddit wants us to talk about Matt, his progression um, in this particular book, or particularly in, particularly in this book, his uh, struggle to grasp Matt's ability as he doesn't get his gifts until this book. So, like, let's just talk about Matt for a minute and what okay. goes on with Matt in the book because that seems like a, a pretty popular uh, request so his far. His gifts of a pointy stick and a shiny gold trinket. Well, I think, I think it's really interesting with Matt because there are two very distinct events that happen for Matt in this book and they're similar, but they're really different when you dive into the, the minor details. He goes into to the two, arches. Two doorways. Yeah. So he yeah. does the arches in tier and he's supposed to be able to ask three questions and get the answers to three questions. All right. Do you remember what those questions were off the top of your head? Um, I know. I remember he was talking Where about. Where am I supposed to go? Yeah. What something? is he? Well, yeah. He wants to know what he has to do or whatever, but he doesn't actually get to ask the questions. It's, it's kind of the classic like <laughs> oh, genie wait. and three wishes <laughs> where it's like. <laughs> that wasn't a real question. Oh, no. I wished for things that I didn't want to wish for. And they're like, <laughs> no, I want my wishes back kind right. of thing. Um. I can't remember exactly the questions that he asked, and we could look it up, but um, he gets the answer that he has to go to Ruidian or he will die. And that's the first thing that he gets answered. And then basically he's like, wait, why do I need to go to Ruidian? And they're like, well... You're at, you're at a... And, I'm uh, sorry, our hour is up. Yeah, and uh, he kind of gets conned into asking two more questions that he didn't want to ask. And then right. all he does is get out of there with the idea of crap. I got to go to Ruidian and be with Rand now. And, uh, it's kind of, I don't know. It's, I don't want to say it's contrived to like keep Matt with Rand, but it's never really explained why he has to go. All it says is you need to go to Ruidian or you will die. 
And so he's like, well, crap, I don't want to die, so let's go. So he, so he does go to Ruidion. Ru, Ru, uh, I can't even say it. No wonder Ruidion. they just, no Ruidion. Wonder they just say Roidion on the yeah. uh, on the audiobook. But uh, so he gets there, and then he goes through another kind of like a, it looks like a twin to the first set of arches. And uh, and then he gets his gifts. And, and it, yeah, it still remains unexplained, I guess. I'm just thinking through it out loud. Uh, so, yeah, he they never explained anything to him either. Maybe it'll be explained in future and, books. And he or, comes out and he's like super But he, but he does die. Yeah. He goes to Ruidion and he does die and he has to get brought back, right? Yeah. Yes. So he gets hung from the tree. Which was super creepy, by Which, the way. I, hung from the tree never, of life, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, the, the tree, tree of life. life. Never make a deal with an elf. That's what that was. <laughs> Are they elves? They're no, called they're, elfin, they're elfin, 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 and elfin. Yeah, something like that. And uh, it's interesting. They're, they're elves. The, the first, the first doorways that he goes through. I thought they're like lizard things. You now he describes yeah. the first peoples that yeah. he meets as like fox-like creatures. Okay. Yeah. And then the second are more of snake-like creatures. Okay. And uh, he talks about snakes and foxes and the child childhood game that he played or whatever. Right. Um, and that the game was unwinnable. And he, the thing that happens in the second archway is he gets these three gifts, but he's supposed to ask for the gifts that he wants. And he basically wants a way out. He wants, well, he so, wants to remember. Oh, wait. Yeah, wait, he, wants to, he wants to remember. He wants to fill his memories. Yeah. Wait, wait so, be more specific next yeah. time though, Matt. And um, so they're like, okay. And then he asks for... A way to get away from the one power. Yeah. And then he also asks for, asks a, for a way out. A way out of his situation right there. Like he just wants to be out. Yeah. And he ends up getting his He gets he gets other memories. Yeah, he gets the memories of a bunch of like Were people. those not there before? Not entirely. So there's this like talking what, the old tongue. Yeah, from for how a while. I from how I understand it is there's two things going on with Matt. He has really strong old blood of Manetherin. Okay. And that kind of comes through. And that was happening before he went through the arches, speaking the old tongue and all that kind of stuff. Right. But then he gets his memories when he goes through the arches. And now he's like fluent and understands it. And basically okay. there's some funny scenes in there when he comes back from Ruidion and they're talking in the old tongue. And I don't know if it's the Aiel explaining something and then Moraine's trying to say like, this is what this means in the old tongue. And Matt's like over there, like kind of just twiddling his thumbs or whatever. And he's like right. nodding like, to himself like, yep. Yeah. <laughs> and Rand notices at some point, I can't remember when it is. I don't know if it's when he's reading the markings off of his new staff or whatever, but Rand notices that Matt is now fluent in the old tongue, but he doesn't say anything. But Rand always, always like looks over at Matt to like confirm the, that, that that's the right yeah. translation. And it's just kind of a funny little scene there but so he gets his he gets his memories he gets his silver fox head medallion yeah which is never explained no. in this book i don't think no we don't really know what it is it's just okay. a silver medallion that he has okay and then he gets his ashandere is what it's called it's a staff with the cool <laughs> i'm glad you know that word yeah i um, just like cool spear yeah it's a spear with a sword thing at the top and he that's basically stuck between two branches on the tree of life and then he's hung up and strung up and now he's got a big sweet scar on his neck sweet awesome now okay so here's one thing i noticed from that episode with the uh snake-like guys uh he goes in i want to see if i can find the actual quote okay 
three sets of slitted eyes lifted from him, reluctantly it seemed, and studied the air above his head. Do these snaky guys and maybe the foxy guys have the same foxy. gift as men? I don't know. Uh, because that's oh. what she does. When she sees somebody, she sees things kind of dancing around their head and Maybe. these images. Yeah, I don't know. So I, I wonder if uh, it's the same uh, same know. ability. Anyway, because... I don't know. That would be maybe like how they know what mm. to give him, how to solve these, uh, how to answer these questions or requests that he throws at them. Eh. It Yeah, and uh, the one thing I want to bring up too, and we talk, I talked about it a little bit, but for people reading through for the first time or just for us in general, remember the questions that he asked or what he wanted. He wanted to fill his memories or he wanted to remember. Basically, that's all he said. I want to remember. He wanted a way to be away from the power and he wanted a way out. And think of the three gifts that he received and how those correlate going forward to those three questions. Uh, okay. Yeah. Well, so the fox head medallion would have to have something to do with the power. A power blocker. A power block. Or something like that. get out. Or get out. Well, okay. well but he's like, strung well, up from the sphere. I, I think that was the uh, way it's out. not that important. That, that, was, that was why I, I thought, you know, be, be more specific with what you ask. I want to remember. Maybe mm-hmm. say I want to remember my own memories or something to that. Yeah. All right, here's some memories. But, we'll just throw them in. I want a way out. Maybe the medallion blocks the blocks him from the power, which could you mean now the power can't help you either. Congratulations, the law of unintended consequences. And then I want a way out. Okay, well we'll hang you. That's <laughs> <Right>. out. <laughs> death is a death is a way out. Um, so, okay, you know. so there is outside of the waste. There's Perrin and his whole adventure. There's Elaine and Nynaeve and their whole adventure, but. I've got to put those off for a little while longer because I know that there are some people who will reach through the internet <laughs> and squeeze my esophagus until I die <laughs> if we don't talk about uh, Rand's experience as in As long as Ruidion. they make some sort of Darth Vader dad joke when they do it, it's <laughs> right. fine. Careful you don't choke on your ambition. Uh, so, oh, gosh. Uh, I thought you were going for a word of the day or something for a second there. Oh, oh we got a word, word of the day. day. Uh, we'll do the word of the day in just a minute. Uh, hang in there, everybody. We'll have the word of the day. It's not choke. It's not choke. Um, so let's talk about the glass columns. And uh, specifically... Let's talk about the glass columns. So, <laughs> Ryan, what did you think about the glass columns? Uh, and uh, w- did you enjoy the scene? Um, maybe, maybe you can give us a rundown of what happened in the glass columns. Has it been? Uh, I can give you a very, very shortened version. We get to see the history of the Aeo is what you see inside those those columns. Um, and what it is is that they were originally um, part of the um, the. The, way the Tinkers. Of the um, I'm trying to think of their other name. The Leaf, the Way of the Leaf. The Tuathawan. Tuathawan. The Tuathawan. That's Tuathawan. the ones that we were, the Tuathawan. Um, those who followed the Way of the Leaf. And um, we learned that they were they were given a bunch of relics or Tarangrials and Sangrials and stuff like that by the Aes Sedai to uh, deliver or something. I don't remember right off the top of my head. And basically they failed the Aes Sedai um, and that's that's part of the reason that they have such uh, such great respect for them now. But I I have to I'll have to say that um, I, I'm breaking from the scene just a moment to jump a little ahead on there. This is apparently a really big issue for the Aiel. Like 
some of them legitimately walk away from everything, like kill themselves, like that, when they find out the truth about this. Because, yeah, uh, yeah. I, I don't know if you recall this, Ryan, but Muradin, who was going through at the same time as Rand, actually ate his eyeballs, which was disgusting, uh, but an effective way to say kind of what you're talking about, right? Yeah, yeah I, I didn't remember that, but remember. that's one of the things I actually one of my bullet points here is. Why do you think that that is such a big deal to the Aiel? Like, yeah, we were once someone who we were once part of a group that followed the way of the leaf. We didn't believe in killing then, but you know what? Now we've gotten pretty good at it. So why is it such a why is it such an a uh, uh, hit to their honor? Well, the Aiel and their entire culture is based on this honor system of G and Gito. To, and the just the realization that everything that they hate about the Tinkers or the Tuathuan, the fact that they, you know, won't pick up a spear or whatever and defend themselves. Like they, they, I don't even think that they know why that they hate the Tinkers, but they know that they do, that there's this like descended disdain for this, these two peoples have for each other. Right. Well, not necessarily for each other, but the I you'll have towards the Tuathuan. And they don't even understand why, but it also I mean, explains their hatred for the. I mean, why why they look with such disdain on a sword? It's a mm-hmm. it's a twisted belief um, uh, coming from the Tuathan who don't believe in taking up arms at all. Um, they it's phrased that they they won't pick up a sword, and so the Aiel have it's been twisted into this thing that the sword is for some reason a disgraceful weapon to use. And I, I, like you said, it's I, I get their culture um, very much based on honor. I'm just I'm very curious. It, it just really struck me as odd that this would have such a huge and an effect to to literally fulfill the prophecy that it talks about that the Karakarn, the he who comes with the dawn, will break them by teaching them their their history. Basically, he will take you yeah. back and he will destroy you. Well, and basically. You know, learning that their entire existence is a lie and 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 a disgrace. Well, yeah, it's well, not, and, not and that it's necessarily a lie. It's that everything that you know that you've been taught that you're this proud warrior, uh, honorific society is based on. I think it. You know, I think it goes beyond that. It's not just. It's not just everything you thought you knew was incorrect. It's to give it a real world parallel. Think of like, um, think of like the wars in the middle east you you have uh, well okay there's a lot of um uh, a lot of muslims fighting muslims but you have muslims fighting jews that's a big thing right so what if muslims found out that not only was islam wrong but they were the incorrect version of judaism right what if your most hated en- enemy turned out to be the thing you were supposed to be all along and you and you not only were told that but you knew that right and that would mess with your head in well, a big way and it's really cool i think jordan's done some just amazing work here using those types of belief systems and just building this whole culture off of the idea of you know of that idea that you just laid out but it's really cool that he's used that as almost like a well i mean it is a test when they want when the io want to have a new clan chief or a new wise one they send them to ruidian and nobody knows what goes on there except for the people, people who, who people who have been there right. and it's stated that like 
a lot of the time people don't come back from there. And it's really a test of strength for their leaders. Can they face essentially the most horrific, you know, idea that they can even imagine? Right. And come back from that and continue on almost like nothing happened, knowing that eventually somebody like Randall Thor is going to come along and destroy their people, essentially. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I don't. Yeah, it's kind of it. Now that we're talking about it this way, it makes me wonder, um, do I believe this? Like, do I believe that a, a society could be structured this way? Is is this a reasonable thing for Robert Jordan to have written? I don't know. I don't I don't know. Uh, I think it's what? very human. I think that a lot of the times with like religion or I mean, just any sort of belief system, it doesn't have to be religious or, or whatever, just your way of life. If you were to look at it and, like you said, completely, you know, look at yourself in the mirror and understand that you are this warped version of what you should be and what and what you should be is something that you hate. I could see it being, you know, something that you would want to ignore and, and, and kind of go back into, you know, back into society as it is and, and try to build yourself up off of that but I, I can't imagine that the people that come back from Ruidian aren't just like 100% depressed all the time <laughs> right <laughs> unless unless there's somebody like Rand who doesn't grow up in the culture he's coming from an outsider's perspective well, sees he's that the he's, only one yeah and he's the only one and he gets in there and he sees that this this is the case this history of the Aiel not realizing what a great disgrace this is he says oh, okay well that's a thing and and doesn't not realizing what how and then, great and then he watches well, Mirrodin eating and his own testament, eyeballs. Doesn't yeah. realize what the gravity of of what he's seeing is. But where I think that this really works well, what Jordan has done so well, and as a testament to how dedicated, and that's I think that's the title of the chapter. It's called the dedicated or one of the chapters, something like that. Yeah, how dedicated the Aiel would have to be to Rand after he has shown them. Uh, essentially their entire way of life has been this betrayal of their previous way of life for generations or whatever, that they would believe this wetlander, this outsider, this, you know, Messiah figure, as he's basically saying, you guys are not what you think you are. And I'm destroying your entire belief system. And yet the ones that accept him and join him are 100% cemented to him now. You know, and they, right. they will follow him no matter what because they've been able to, I don't want to say completely overcome it, well, but at least, but at least you move go, past yeah, it, move yeah, past yeah, it at enough to follow enough. I think, yeah. I think that is a very human thing. We have, mm-hmm. uh, we have a fundamental need to follow something. Uh, everybody finds something. There are those, you know, everybody likes to think that they're independent minded, but no, we all follow something. And so when their entire belief system is shattered, they need something else to follow. And so that seems very reasonable to me that when that is taken away from them, then they see this guy who says whatever it is, he says, you know, we're going to go take over the world or whatever. Um, and and so it's very easy for them to say, oh, okay, uh, I'm going to latch onto that now, See, right? Yeah, exactly. And I, th- I think you're exactly right. And I love, I mean, this this entire sequence in this book is just fantastic. And I understand why a lot of the subreddit comments were like, spend an entire episode on just this because we really could, but there's a lot more to get to. But 
on top of all of that that we just talked about, that Rand has just basically destroyed this entire society's belief system. Some of them have decided, okay, whatever, we'll do it. But not only does that happen, but Jordan has the balls to say, we're going to throw in a, you know, a false a false a dragon, false Karakarn. Yeah, a, a false Karakarn, and he brings up Kuladin, who comes yeah. up with his ball and, you know, dragon tattoos, you know, one on each arm. <laughs> the and, Which uh, I'd like tattoo. to, it's never explained how those got there, is it? I don't think it, I don't think it explains it. Yeah, he just drew them on or but, his you tattoo know, so sleeves or something. He comes up and shows that he's got the two sleeves, and... Uh, now the Aiel have this already like a, a choice to make, yeah. Huge bomb, like whoa, holy crap, what's going on? And now they've got this wetlander versus one of their own, essentially, to follow. And it's right. just, it's a stroke of genius to throw in conflict on top of conflict and just complicate that issue so much more for Rand and the Aiel and what's going on. Right. And uh, just really well done overall because it's just like. One thing after another. Nothing like a little Aiel Civil War to stop your, or to, to frustrate your plans, you know, to stop the Dark One. It was, it was quite the, uh, uh, quite the epic conclusion with that scene. Uh, well, before and, and we, it's fantastic, too. Before it's, we go on, would you guys like a word of the day now? Now that we've, we've talked about the glass columns, and we may talk about it more, but. Uh, yeah, let's, let's do the word of the day. And, and I do want to bring up something that happened in the actual sequence of events during the glass okay. columns. Okay, all right. We will do that. Um, the word of the day today is leave. Leave. The word of the day is leave. There will be one more word of the day. It'll be in the next Shadow Rising episode. And uh, those who keep track of all three will have a chance to tweet that at us and uh, enter to win some Wheel of Time stuff. So, uh, we'll, yeah, I'll, I'll get more into the prizes and stuff in the next one. Books, t-shirts, all that sort of stuff. Anyway... Uh, let's go on. So what did you want to mention? Well, just, I think Ryan did a really good job of kind of summoning up what, what happened, kind of the, the major bullet points. Um, but the sequence of events of every time they take a step, you know, when Rand's in there and Muradin's in there, every time they, they take a step, they see a new, you know, flashback. And the way that Ruark explains it to Rand, I think it's Ruark that tells him is, you know, you're seeing through the eyes of your own ancestors. And so everybody's experience in those glass columns is going to be a little bit different, but they're all going to get the same, you know, the big same info. Yeah, the you same all right? You all right, idea. Ryan? Did you fall off the ladder or something? He fell asleep, I think. <laughs> no, just have a couple three-year-olds running around. <laughs> that would do it. Um, but what I thought was really cool is after a couple of steps that Rand, Rand takes, and he goes, it, it, it goes back really slowly, and you see it basically one generation at a time right. as you see this, you know, which how... Was, which was a really tough way. It was fun, but it was mm-hmm. a tough way to read it. So yeah. as, a, as a reader, you really have to be paying attention to that yeah. stuff to to understand what's going on because he's going backwards. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. And, and it's really long. And, but it's also really well written. I got to mm-hmm. say, I I know there are people who get annoyed with how much I criticize Robert Jordan because that's just more fun for me. But this is <laughs> but this is one area where as I read that, I just thought, "Oh my gosh, that would be so difficult to construct as mm-hmm. an author." And he does a fantastic job with it. Anyway, I interrupted no, you. No, no, he does such such a good job and as he he goes back generation to generation you slowly see how the way of the leaf 
gets twisted into Gito, Gito. and 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 not even necessarily that, but just the way that the Aiel are now and why they fight with spears and why they have this whole like society seps and why they, you know, basically are the baddest warriors on the planet from being the most peaceful, docile people on the planet from right. before. But as we go back in Rand's ancestry, we get all the way back to before the the drilling of the bore and when they f- actually unearth or f- drill in through and find the Dark One. And so one of Aunt Rand's ancestors or somewhere about is talking about how they actually are a servant for Lanfear herself. And I thought that that was really cool. It's, Whoa, I don't remember this at me- all. Mirren. That's what I was just thinking. I'm like, he calls it, I think her are name. Are you sure? I'm positive. You, okay, all right. I'll see if I can find the. the I want to make sure we're not we, spoiling something. We yeah. might need to bring it back up in, in the next one because I'll have to look for it in yeah. the book. Okay. But uh, yeah, one of the, one of the, I think they're called Daishan. Okay. Or whatever. They're the servants or what the Aiel used to be. Oh, the Gaishan. Okay, I remember that. It's Gaishan, oh, but oh, oh, I'm in sorry. this one, they're like Daishan. Okay. Something like that. Anyways, one of them is talking about how he like was serving Lanfear and like mm-hmm. and like as it goes down, if you look at it backwards, because we're when you read it, you're reading it back in time and it feels backwards. Right, but if right. you flip that around and do it the other way, as they go down the line in generations, um they start to kind of like criticize that old guy as like he brags about serving land fear and she was a forsaken, you know? And so it's like, it's just kind of this really interesting connection between mm. apparently Rand's ancestry all the way back. And there's land fear again. Like right. Rand cannot She's get away there. from land, land fear. So just wanted to bring that up. Cause I thought that was really, really kind of a cool touch and they don't refer to her as land fear. Well, they do at a certain point, but most of it is her original name, Mirin or my, yeah, maybe that's why I didn't catch it Mm -hmm. because I, I I don't know all these things. So there's, there's a, there's a whole lot going on in the glass columns. And again, we could spend probably the entire two episodes on shadow rising talking about it but there's a whole lot more going on <laughs> outside of the glass column. I feel like I feel like we should just really leave Perrin for the second discussion. Uh but maybe uh speaking of Forsaken, maybe we spend a few minutes and talk about the other epic conclusion to a story, which is Sweet uh <laughs> which is Elaine and Nynaeve. Now, I I have an issue with that whole section. And it is not the conclusion. I'll tell you that right now. That was so much fun yeah. and so cool to see. My only issue was that uh, in preparing for this episode, I was thinking back on all the characters and what they did. And I got to Elaine and Nynaeve and I thought, uh, okay, so Nynaeve had this battle scene and that was awesome. And she had it when she was in Tanchico. And she was in Tanchico doing something, and it took me quite a long time. And I guess so. I guess my only uh, my only problem with it is 
gosh, I don't remember hardly anything. I, I know they're there to find something that's a threat to Rand, and it turns out to be a, a, a necklace thing. Yeah. Uh, and they're hunting the Black Aja. But there are I know there are thousands of words about that storyline, and I don't remember most of what happens in it. Most of them feel innocuous. Yeah. yeah. I guess the biggest thing would be Egyanen kind of joining the party. So they yeah. they team up with a Shan Chan, which was well, cool. Which they didn't expect. And they, they find out that she is. They, they Oh, right. Yeah. They find out she's Shan Chan. They now, get, now we have uh, conflict, you know. They get brainwashed. What what do you call that thing? Uh, by compulsion. W- compulsion. They get, oh, yeah. they, get they get compelled by what's which Forsaken is it? Uh, uh, Mo- starts with an M. Mogidian. Mogidian. Mogadishu. Yeah. I don't know what. Uh, anyway. Mogidian. So yeah, they, <laughs> yeah. Uh, they get brainwashed by her, and that so that was cool. But then obviously the big conclusion is uh, is the best part. So can. I wanted to ask you specifically because you're our punching guy. Yeah, yeah. That was a super epic fight scene, but yes. it doesn't start that way. And so Nynaeve is battling Mogidian in the uh, what the palace in Tanchico. Right. But then a- after he has been describing it for hundreds and hundreds of words, he says there are there are these two women just looking at each other anybody who walked in would just see two women glaring at each I, other i did, thought that was outstanding you I like was, that i i i did i loved it for, i was just wondering for because, complete lack of punching it yeah. it felt very dramatic you know what i mean and and honestly most of the fight i i didn't really remember uh as it went on but i did remember how it resolved like that where it, Okay, this is this is uh, kind of drawing. It's not exact an exact uh, comparison, but it, it reminded me a little bit of of uh, Star Wars when Obi Wan and Anakin are doing their throwdown, and they both use the Force at each other, and they're just standing there forcing at each other. That's kind of what it reminded me of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, and it's just this this Force stare down, you know, Death Stare stalemate thing, and I just I thought it was fun. I I kind of got a, a you know the visual if you were to put this in a in a movie. You know, and and you can just see beads of sweat and the intensity and all that and and it's it's funny in wizard fighting for lack of a better term as if there's like a real thing of wizard fighting I'm going to speak definitively here but oh sure it, I saw Lord of the Rings yeah in in wizard fighting there's nothing happening but there is everything happening inside you know what I mean and you can see the internal struggle I, I don't know it's I I admit when I read this section I had a a very uh, interesting visual on how I would do this cinematically. Oh, okay. Uh, like you have both of them at either side and they're yeah, you're they're doing the stare down thing, but they're in or they're in this like almost museum type setup where there's these different columns with uh, stuff in there. And as I would take the camera behind each of those, and when you pass behind a column, like your perspective would change. You'd be able to see the weaves. And then you'd cut away to another spot, and you would just see them staring. But then you'd cut back in behind okay. another one of the yeah, columns. Yeah, another one of the columns. See the other one. Yeah, that would be really cool. And it's I had kind of more of a comical look on it this read through, <laughs> because I was thinking to myself, because if you're a, if you're a non-channeler, you can't see the weaves. So like to Ryan's point, you'd have to show no the, weaves, that and then there. Yeah. and then show what's actually happening. And but it made me laugh because I thought about that scene in Ant Man when. 
like you zoom in and they're both tiny. You got Ant-Man and whatever oh. his dude, whatever the dude is. Oh yeah. And they're just like epic battle explosions. Things are happening, whatever. And then they zoom out because they're so tiny and you see it like and Thomas the tank. Yeah. Thomas kind of falls yeah. over. Yeah. You see it like in real, in real time. And it's just like, nothing's really happening. That's and hilarious. so I just kind of got that funny, like, Oh, that would be sweet. I thought I of what it reminded me of. <laughs> are you guys familiar with Star Trek with deep space nine? Uh, vaguely, I watched yeah. it a little bit growing up. There's a there, there's one late later in the seasons where there's this epic battle between the 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 good guy prophets and the bad guy prophets, and they've both embodied a different main character, and they're just staring down each other on the promenade with this power going between them, and and they're just standing there, and the power's going between them, and you can see like sweat and and blood coming out their nose and stuff and that's exactly what this reminded me of so it was a lot of fun but really the uh the takeaway here is that finally we get a payoff for all that talk of how powerful Nynaeve is right now we've we've heard about Egwene and Elaine are potentially the most powerful Aes Sedai in generations uh but then there's Nynaeve who is on a whole other level above even those two according but, to the other Aes Sedai but she's Hulk level and <laughs> sure and you wouldn't uh, like her when she's angry. You never, <laughs> you never get to see that. She never does anything with that, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you see, I, I feel like, at least in my mind, Elaine and I, uh, Elaine and Egwene, you see them working with the power a lot more than mm-hmm. Nynaeve up till now, and then suddenly she just, yeah, hulks out and yeah. goes nuts on Mogidian and kicks her butt. It, it was, was awesome. Yeah, I mean, it was not, really well written. The yes, way that yes, the way that Jordan is in Nynaeve's mind, and she's freaking out the entire time, <laughs> wondering when is Mogidian going to turn it on. Right, you know, like she's yeah. she's just playing with me right now. I am literally on the brink of losing my mind here from straining with the power, and suddenly realizing, yeah. and then oh. realizing that oh, we are like neck and neck you know we are exactly the same she's, strength she's thinking the exact she's same thing same i am okay. and and the way that she distracts her when she finds that out just something so simple as like a physical like what did she do she, does she i think she, does she fall down or does she uh, she does something physical to like distract her to make yeah. it look like like she's losing she's it, losing it. Yeah. and then she like throws something at her and it's just like, it's like if I picked up a paperclip and threw it at Craig and hit him between the <laughs> eyes in the middle of his synopsis and he'd be like stunned for even just a, a split second. And that's all that she needed to overpower her. And it was, I thought she I mean, punched her so, in the face or something. That's maybe, what I maybe thought. it was. I thought it was maybe like she punched her in the face. Something. Uh, speaking of which we'll get back to that in just a second but there's a lot of slapping that goes on in these books and I gotta say uh, one thing this is actually something I like from Robert Jordan um, every time somebody gets slapped like they, they stars are dancing in their eyes and like they're kind of stunned for a minute like so often you watch movies or read books and, and somebody gets slapped and they're just like oh whatever but no if you get slapped hard with an open hand like that's gonna hurt man yeah and uh, so and I just I like those little tidbits where it's like no that's real if you get slapped like that you are you're you know you're not Slap just slapping the base man <laughs> you're not just going on right away uh, anyway but then the other thing that happens right after so she defeats Mogidian ties her up and she can't she can't quite still her but she can cut her off from the source mm-hmm. uh, but then Mogidian is able to escape and that's kind of handled mysteriously but she's able to mis- to escape because one of the black aja comes in and starts like 
uh, ramboing with Balefire. That's right. <laughs> and uh, she like tears down half the palace with Balefire. And uh, that was pretty cool to see. So we've seen in, I'm, I'm like, okay, Balefire is, uh, is very interesting to me for some reason. I, I don't know why. But uh, so I'm keeping because kind it's of so a, feared. Yeah, well, it is that and yeah. mystical. But I'm uh, I'm keeping account, and as far as I can tell, this is only the second instance of Balefire. Uh, Moraine uses it on the Dark Hounds, right? And then oh, right. And we haven't seen it since then, to my knowledge. I don't think so. So yeah, we've so seen it may... described a couple times. Yeah, I think okay. we've seen it. I don't Rand know if... has used it a couple times. Oh really? Um, it's th- there's been a yeah. There's okay. been a couple times that it's been described, but hasn't been named as Balefire. Okay. All right. Well, that's why I didn't make my count, because I'm not smart. So, uh, anyway, yeah, I, I'm digging on the Balefire. I'm interested to see where it comes up later. Uh, let's see. I'm trying to think. That's That was a ton of fun. Nynaeve she stuff. Threw Anything the else we want to... What's that? Yeah, oh, yeah, that's right. Sorry. She threw the collar at her. She threw that's the right. collar at her. Hit her in the face with the collar. That'd do it. And the collar is... Okay, so the collar is another thing that we might want to just mention real quick because it's filled with all sorts of, like, negativity. It's It's a lot like like me. It's Uh, it's just full (laughs) of negative emotions and misery and pain. Uh, Male domination. Male domination (laughs) all the time. Uh, Ew. (laughs) One thing you learn from this book is, is Robert Jordan was secretly a dirty old man. Wait, what are you talking about? He's, well, you know, he's got why, the... Why are you bringing this up now? Because you're talking about the domination collar. Oh. Oh, you're going S&M with this thing. Um, well, yeah, that and among other things. But anyway. Um, uh, well, whatever. Well, just, yeah, anyway. <laughs> uh, that's weird. I honestly had not thought of any S&M stuff well, at all. There you go. There. <laughs> but okay, Ken. So who's the dirty old man? I'm just Re- saying. Remind me Robert Jordan. Robert Jordan is the dirty old man. Right. Right. What there are, are two say, things right? in that whole sequence with Nynaeve and, Mo- and Mogidian that are, I think, worth the discussing. And one of them is that is that collar, the 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 male item, and the other is that Mogidian takes the time to describe and explain Quendiar. So what does she what does she say? Because I I guess I don't recall that. And that is that when she's trying to like uh, keep her distracted or something. Uh, she's talking she's yeah she's talking to um Nynaeve about how she's discovered the male idom and she says uh, it's not metal but a form of quendiar even balefire cannot destroy quendiar and if you mean to use it it does have drawbacks um but we've been given this description of of what of how powerful quendiar is how indestructible it is and we we know what this is we've heard this term before yeah um it's it's what is the the material being used to that was used to make the seals on the dark one's prison yeah right. on the dark one's prison and so i have a feeling that if we have the seals as quendiar and this piece is quendiar that at some point in time quendiar is going to play a bigger role in what we're looking at because eventually if we're just able to throw bale fire at anything and solve it we need to figure out a way to prevent bale fire from being actually we need to nullify that as a weapon okay. otherwise behold that's Quindy what it's going to become um oh man do i have some stuff to say on that subject but it'll wait till the next one so uh so what you're saying then is that at some point 
not only are characters going to rediscover Balefire, but characters are going to rediscover the making of Quendiar, like make some Quendiar shields or something like that. Is that... I would... Like a Quendiar iPhone case. Right, yes. So that, yeah. (laughs) In some ways, someone is going to discover either how to remake Quendiar or they're going to discover a a great cache of Quendiar armor or... Or Charon Rial or something like that. You know, in some way, it's going to play a factor because it's been brought up in multiple very powerful things. It seems like if you want to make something that's really powerful, you need to make it out of Quendiar. All right. Uh, whew, cool. I like that one. Uh, yeah. Okay, I'll keep my eye on Quendiar then. Uh, anything else that does not pertain to Perrin that we that we can go over in the next five minutes or should we uh, wrap this next up? time we need to make sure we talk about Rand and, and Asmodian oh okay well because, you know what oh yeah we, we could do that now I, I don't mind extending for a couple minutes on this to get okay. through that yeah what do you say, there's, talk about? there's so many climaxes in this book that it's, yeah. we want to make sure that we want to we want to get to them all but we've you know Talking about glass columns and Matt and and Nanny even all that. It's like and then oh we hit all the good stuff scene. and that's like holy no we didn't. There's so many other there's cool so things. So much more. Um, but what made me think of that is that Ryan was talking about you know at some point we're gonna have to find this cache of Turangrial or Quindiar or whatever. Well, there is a giant cache of artifacts and Turangrial and all of that stuff in Ruidian. in Ruidian. Yeah, and they walk by it and they see all of these things and and. One thing that I thought was really cool was Rand sees the statues. Um, the oh, oh, the little the, miniature. Yeah, the yeah. miniature versions of the big. Remember a couple episodes ago we talked about the big giant yeah, yeah, hand yeah. sticking out of the earth with the big giant glass or crystal, crystal ball. Crystal sphere, yeah. Right. And uh, Rand was super drawn to it in that. I think it was the Great Hunt. His, yeah, in book two. And he's standing on the edge and he he's basically like about to lose it and he feels this thing calling to him and and at the time when you're reading it you're just like what the heck is he doing like this is the weirdest thing yeah. and then come to find out you know that's the the most powerful songreal ever created even more powerful than kalandor and uh here in ruidian is the little miniature version of that which, which gives is, him access right. the gift to shop the, version yeah it's essentially the access key and that is yeah, what Oh, go ahead. As Ryan. great as that one is, as great and as powerful as that, and Calendar, and you know, now that Rand has both of those, let's face it, er, the whole reason that he wins is because he's got a little fat guy in his pants. Like that's. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! How long were you sitting on that one? <laughs> that was the worst thing you've ever said ever. <laughs> and I've known you for uh, all right. twenty years. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> uh, I'd like to die now, please. Oh my <laughs> gosh. But uh, that's the whole reason that uh, Asmodian goes to Ruidian in the first place. He's oh, trying, to get that. He's trying to get that. And if you remember, in the there's a couple of dream sequences, and I don't, I think it's Egwene. I don't know if it's Egwene or I don't remember. I think it maybe maybe I don't it's remember Nynaeve. any of those. I don't feel like dreams play was, much of a part in this book. Well, other kidding. than that was a joke. <laughs> There's a part where I don't I can't remember who it is. I think it's Egwene. It might be Nynaeve or Elaine when they're trying to meet Egwene in the dream world. And they see some guy like kind of walking around Ruidian and not going into the fog mm, right. or whatever. And um 
is it Bridget or Bir- Bir- Brigitta? Brigitta. I'm just going to call it's her Bridget. I'm going to call German, her Bridget because I'm an American version, in yeah. America. She shows up and is like, oh, you don't want to mess with that guy. And we don't know it at first, but at, by the end of the book, you can infer, you know, that's Asmodian, like poking around trying to figure right. out how to get in there. And he's in there because he wants this access key to the to the giant Sangreal. And when they finally get in there, he and Rand just like bull in a china shop doesn't even begin to describe <laughs> oh, no. what's going on right. in there. Um, they destroy everything. And you know, each you know, each of them put one hand on the access key and get so much power and then like Ryan says, Rand uses a little bit more from his uh Angriel that he has of the little fat guy. And uh, is able to kind of overpower in his pants. In his pants. In his pants. A- able to overpower Asmodian and 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 defeat him essentially. Right. And uh, what's really cool is that he doesn't kill him; he cuts him off from the Dark One. Oh yeah, it's, yeah. Oh yeah, which could have all sorts of and, crazy consequences. Yeah, and, and then uh, then um, commits him to a servitude to explain how he can better use the the one power. So basically, I need a teacher. I need, yeah, I need you to which, train me. Which is, it's really interesting. I, I want to see where this one goes as well because you have so often in stories, um, you have oh oh. So a recent example would be The Force Awakens, and Kylo Ren catches up to uh, what's her name, Ray, Ray, and uh, like oh, you, you know for, that like that, you forgot the the one I named my daughter daughter after, right? Um, so he catches up to Ray, and they're lightsabering, and he. They they lock lightsabers and he goes, you need a teacher. And she's like, F you. And they keep fighting, right? <laughs> this happens a lot. Uh, it's kind of pitched as this this is how I'm going to get you to join the dark side in whatever story it is. Uh, I'm just going to, you need to know, you need, uh, you need a teacher. You need to know this stuff. I can help you. I can walk you through it. Um, I don't want you to hurt yourself. And that's how you, you know, get your hooks in them, right? But in this story... It's flipped around, and the good guy seeks out the bad guy as a teacher, and he thinks, you know, if I can just cage this person and, uh, you know, keep them as a pet, basically, mm. like they'll be able to well, teach me. And well, there's a really important part of this scene that we haven't talked about yet. Lan Fear shows up. Oh, yeah. And she yeah. essentially blocks Asmodian from the from the one power. Which, by the way, least surprising uh, revelation Reveal. ever was that <laughs> those two were more forsaken. Well, I, yeah. I really did. didn't see that coming. Well, I was actually, I, I couldn't have called Asmodian, but uh, I thought that the, uh, so Lanfear was posing as the fat merchant lady, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. I thought it was, um, it's what's the, the, no, 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 no. I thought the fat lady was uh, the, uh, what's the slutty forsaken? Oh, uh, <laughs> Grendel? Grendel. Yeah. I was like, oh, it's got to be Grendel. But no, it wasn't. No. Anyway, what were you saying? I was just saying, Lanfear shows up and Lanfear is the one that kind of convinces Asmodian that, you know, you're going to have to teach Rand because he, as first of all, Asmodian starts freaking out because he's cut off from the dark one. And right. right. And he's begging Lanfear to like help him and get him because now that he is no longer connected to the dark one, he is susceptible to the madness. The madness. Um, he no longer has that protection. And he it's, it's a huge piece right there in saying that we can deal with the, the Sidene can be cleansed. Because there is a way to prevent the madness, to prevent that from being affected on you. So there's, if, if Rand can figure that out, he can prevent the madness. And I think that might be 
like that that's got to be key if, there, if there's a way to do it and it's not just like uh you know something about the person it's actually a connection i think it can be replicated absolutely right. well and and to add to that rand could very well at some point decide to just join the dark one because he doesn't want to go mad anymore yeah I and mean, so you know the it, it, maybe rand sees it as the only way out of going mad is joining the dark one and so there's there's a couple different things that come up with that but but the really important thing is that land fear is the one that facilitates asmodian as rand's teacher right. she basically tells asmodian even if you go to Shaelgul and speak to the Dark One himself or talk to the other Forsaken, I'm going to tell them that you defected. Oh, right. You know, I'm going to tell them that you decided you could join Randall Thor, the Dragon Reborn, and make a name for yourself on Team Lightside. Right. And she blocks him off from the true source. She gives him just enough that he can, like, trickle through and get a little bit of power enough to teach Rand. And it's it's really interesting. We've talked about it before, but Land Fear is up to stuff. And she is facilitating that's, Rand's ability to learn how to use the power. That's what I was going to say about this. This is a bad idea on so many levels. Not, <laughs> not the least of which is, and Rand knows it, when, he says if, but when, the Aeel and the Aes Sedai and everybody they find out that he's harboring a forsaken that's cut off from the power, they're going to lose their s about that. Yes, I said s. Wow, that's thinking of the kids well, there, Ken. And yes, <laughs> and the fact that I don't typically anyway, and the fact that Lanfear is going along with this, that should be a gigantic red flag. Yeah, yeah. You know, Moraine oh, would lose her mind. Lanfear thinks <laughs> Lanfear thinks this is a good idea. That should stop you. Well, I don't I'm know. just saying. I, I I have wonderments about that. So, but we'll, she's hot. She's so hot, yeah. <laughs> right? And so, so trust her. Um, all right, let's break because we need to come back later and we'll uh, discuss more of the book. But we are way, way over our hour at this point, and uh, I guess all the Patreon people have got their money's worth today. <laughs> so, uh, yes. Speaking of which, Patreon.com/slash/Legendarium is where you can go support the show. Thank you to everybody who's done so, and thank you to everybody who will. Unless uh, you're sincerely. not in America. Uh, no. no. We love them. No, I just sent... Uh, okay, so our $5 reward is a little care package every few months. I figure like every four to six months I'll send a care package. I just sent yeah. one to New Zealand. Nice. You know why? Because we love because you. Because I love spending all we of our money. Kiwis. No, but because... Uh, because because yeah, we, we love have, our listeners. We man. have somebody from New Zealand who elected to support the podcast for that amount. And I am grateful to anybody who does so. And you are not excluded no matter where you are. Heck yeah. Uh, well, as long as you can get mail, I guess. Unless you're a toque. So, <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's break. And uh, we'll come back uh, in a little while and uh, talk about Perrin and some other stuff from the rest of this book. Because it was so massive. And we will see you all then for part two of The Shadow Rising. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody.